Millions of people across the country cast their ballots in the 2022 midterm elections. Some votes are still being counted, and certain races remain too close to call on the day after Election Day. Today, with the insights of three expert political analysts, we'll explore what Tuesday's results mean for governing in 2023 and for healthcare and hospitals. Welcome to Advancing Health, a podcast brought to you by the American Hospital Association. I'm Tom Hederley with AHA Communications. On today's podcast, Lisa Kidder-Horobsky, AHA's Senior Vice President of Federal Relations, Advocacy, and Political Affairs, leads a discussion with two veteran political consultants. They examine key results of the House and Senate races and what their impact will mean for the next Congress. This podcast is a condensed version of a webinar recorded at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on November 9th. Let's join Lisa and her guests. Thank you for joining us today as we try to digest what happened last night or maybe what didn't happen last night when it comes to the election. I am joined today by two veteran political consultants, one on the Democrat side and one on the Republican side, who are going to run through, again, what we think we happened last night and try to prognosticate what that might mean for health care going forward this year and then into 2024 when we start looking at the presidential election, which now isn't too far away. We all know that the House was controlled by the Democrats uh, yesterday. Uh, 220 uh, to 212 with three vacant seats, so a slim majority for the House Democrats. Right now, we are in really close control for the House of Representatives for the Republicans. I think that the prediction that there would be a red wave or a pink wave uh, really obviously didn't come through. We know that there are additional incumbents that have been defeated. We saw uh, Representative Sean Patrick Mahoney uh, is an additional one. We have five incumbents defeated. Uh, The reason Sean Patrick Mahoney stands out to all of us right now is he was uh, the head of the DCCC, which is the House fundraising arm for the Democrats. He went out and raised all the money and campaigned for all the House Democrats. So that was a really big blow uh, for the Democrats to lose. But again, want to show you where we think we are. The numbers I have seen right now are 204 for the Republicans and 175 for the Democrats. But again, the House has not been called. Um, We think that this could be um, days while we're waiting for some of these really tight um, elections to come through. But again, no one's claimed victory in the House. And as we look at this Senate slide, you will see we are very much in the same place. As of um, noon, this is still accurate. They did call one additional Senate race in Wisconsin for Senator Ron Johnson. He held on to his seat. That was a really tight one. Um, So currently we are waiting for three additional seats. We are waiting for Arizona, Nevada. And then uh, Georgia, you may have just seen that they did say there will be a runoff December 6th. So we will not know control of the Senate in all likelihood till at least December 6th. So again, a lot happening on our plate right now as we try to figure out uh, who's actually going to control the House and the Senate and what it might mean for us in healthcare and for a nation in general. But let me introduce our two speakers. We are thrilled to have um, David Bockerney and David Leader with us today. Some of you may know them. They have been um, in D.C. for a very long time, and both of them have actually worked with um, AHA for a long time as well. And we are lucky to have them um, this afternoon talking with us. 
David Bockerney is the chairman and CEO of the Bockerney Group, which is a bipartisan group uh, in Washington, D.C. that does political cult or consulting and strategizing. Dave has been in Washington for a very long time. I don't want to put you at ease when I say that, Dave, but for a long time. Um, he has worked for, the, he worked for the Reagan administration, and he now has a, a vast amount of contacts in town um, on the, primarily the Republican side, but he also um, has Republican contacts on the Senate, on the House, um, with the members, with the staff, with the administration. Um, you kind of name it, and Dave knows them, um, and he's been a real asset to AFA over the years. Um, and then David Leader will be um, the Democrat side, although they promise not to fight too much Republican versus Democrat. Um, but David Leader is here to sort of give the Republican perspective. And Dave has also been in D.C. for a long time and held numerous jobs. Currently, he is president and CEO of the Pluris Strategies, which is a, a firm that he runs. Um, but David's had a numerous jobs of importance here in town. He was John Kerry's chief of staff for seven years. He worked in the Clinton-Gore administration, and he also um, worked for the Department of Energy as a presidential appointee. So lots of great work by both of these, and I'm thrilled to have them. Uh, so I'll start off by asking you both the same question, um, and I'll start with you, David Bockerney. Honestly, what was the biggest surprise for you of, of the night? Well, so Lisa, thank you. A couple of just quick things. You've got the map of the world behind you, and then I see you have Idaho, which is really the center of the, the, center of the world. Uh, <laughs> I'm in Sioux Falls, South Dakota today, so hopefully uh, you know, we're kind of in that same part of the country and, uh, you know, where we actually we had a pretty good night here last night in Red State, South Dakota. So I think suffice it to say that a little bit of it is uh, I think you know, Republicans generally may have gotten ahead of ourselves. I think we, you know, we sort of started to you know, believe our own press releases, if you will. Uh, again, it was you know, working for President Reagan. I mean, when he saw a big pile of horse poop, he would always say, well, there must be a pony in here somewhere. Uh, <laughs> But uh, again, I mean, I think, you know, the biggest surprise was a big shot, uh, even if you didn't think it was going to be a red wave, which I didn't. You know, I, I was predicting logically 24 seat gain for House Republicans. You know, my sort of upside was 27. And then, you know, sort of anything north of that would be kind of start of the wave you know, theory. Uh, it's not going to be 24. Uh, I think if you look at where I think we will land, and again, to your point, there's a lot of votes to be counted still. Uh, the New York Times was actually reporting this morning, and they've, they've done a pretty good job of looking at the House races. They're sort of landing somewhere around 224 at the end of the day for House Republicans. Some other news sites have it a little bit lower, 219, 220. Uh, and then there are some some rumors that uh, again maybe the you know the majority uh, still could be in question. But again, if I had to predict today, you know I think it's going to be somewhere around that 224, and, and, and House Republicans will will be in the majority. So that's a huge surprise. And again, the sort of the other I guess I would say just really quickly, a couple of other observations, and and one being a surprise, number of the House Republican candidates who won. They weren't necessarily the MAGA Donald Trump, even though I have a lot of things I can talk about in terms of the Trump shadow on this election, this midterm election. But interestingly, if the majority actually flips, it's going to be because of New York State, New Jersey, potentially uh, looking at you know a pretty decent showing in California, uh, South Texas with a Hispanic seat, South Florida with some you know moderate Republicans. Uh, which kind of sprinkled in with some conservatives that did win may produce the House Republican majority, which is going to complicate a speakership for Kevin McCarthy even more if that comes to be. So 
again, I'll stop there. I know we got a lot of material to cover, but that was a big surprise in terms of how we may get to that 223, 224 uh, at the end of the day. Great. And David, same question for you, other than your maybe excitement over the night, what was your biggest surprise? Well, like like Dave, I as he goes to red country, I came to uh, Rhode Island and Massachusetts, real blue country. Uh, this, so I'm talking to you from Massachusetts this afternoon. And uh, I got to say here, you know, this one of the surprises was New England. As the last I looked, we went into this election not having a Republican member of the House. And it looks like that's going to remain the same. And I would I think most people would have thought Maine, maybe one of the New Hampshire seats, maybe Rhode Island, even maybe a Connecticut seat. So, you know, again, I think um, the big surprise was the headwinds that it felt, I think, to all of us. I was quite pessimistic myself. I I was viewing a wave coming, at least uh, um, on the House side, particularly. Um, and with all that was seemed to be in favor, the headwinds the Republicans had going into this election, you know, out of power, the history of the outer party party in a midterm doing really well, Biden's unfavorables being so high, obviously inflation being a big issue. And the Republicans did, a, I think, a really good job of making crime a central issue as well. Uh, but, as I, you know, in a I know, you know, it felt to me as if Democrats were trying to use the abortion rights issue mainly to change the subject, to get off inflation. Uh, but it it resonated with people, I think, voters. It wasn't just Kansas. It, it, you look at the state ballots, there's a number of ballots issues that seem to show that abortion rights, even in Kentucky, is, is resonating. Uh, I think democracy helped. I think most of all, the quality of the candidates, maybe. And all of these are sort of cumulative. I'm sort of reminded of um, a quote, because I was in the United States Senate in 1980 as a young staffer when uh, the minority leader, Bob Dole, uh, woke up after the November 1980 elections and realized he was going to be majority leader. And he's, he's, he, he always did have a good one-liner or two. And he said, if I had known that we were going to uh, win control of the Senate, we would have run some better candidates. Uh, and I think uh, I think in this particular case, Mitch McConnell was trying to do that. And I think this was a, one of the Trump factors. I think they got, you know, and it's not to say that the Democrats ran the perfect candidate in every state, too. I can think of one where they might have won last night if they had put a better candidate up, um, more moderate candidate. But I think um, it's clear that uh, the Trump factor and some of the candidates that he was promoting, I think, really hurt the Republicans' chances for even better, bigger gains. Yeah, I think people are going to be talking about that for a while now. Dave, I know it's hard to sort of talk about this since we don't know a lot, but when you look at the election and the outcome that we that we think we're going to see, what does this mean for the Republican Party sort of in general? Like, what do you think that the implications for them might be as they look at what they didn't get, the wave last night? Well, that, that's a great question, Lisa. I mean, again, I think there's multiple answers to that. I mean, there's I think there's questions about what does it mean for Kevin McCarthy if he's a speaker and how does he try to govern? Uh, and I've got some thoughts about that. It also, you know, again, it, it means still with, you know, the Senate, you know, not yet determined. Uh, is Mitch McConnell going to be the offensive coordinator, as he likes to say, or is he going to remain the defensive coordinator? Uh, again, the Senate is a place where, you, you, as we see, uh, most of the time uh, with the filibuster, you can, uh, you know, you, you, you can find a way to stop the worst things. But in most recently, when Democrats controlled all three, you know, the House, Senate and, and the White House, uh, reconciliation became a pretty powerful tool for, for governing. You know, again, 
that's not likely to happen with McCarthy as speaker if that turns out to be the case. I mean, that pretty much, I mean, that kills the reconciliation process. Uh, and then I guess, you know, the, the sort of the, the third factor in all of this is what does it mean for the future? And I actually do think that, uh, you know, maybe this is a tough lesson for Republicans last night. But to that point, I think, you know, already we're seeing, I think this, this may be the impetus for, you know, the difference between being a potentially Trump-led party pretty clearly into the next primary season in 2024. And already, I mean, my phone's been blowing up today about, uh, you know, what does this mean for, you know, uh, DeSantis, uh, the New York Post had a front page cover that called, it showed his picture, the governor's picture uh, with the headline, The Future 2024. Glenn Youngkin, the, Youngkin, the governor of Virginia, will be in that mix. And so I, I think it's going to start it's going to start a, a process. And then I, I guess I would say, too, uh, you know, with regard to uh, there's more diversity in that. You know, I think, again, there's going to be more diversity in the House on the Republican side uh, in a very closely divided you know house and so i think that's going to really that's going to really change the what i would have expected the kind of the messaging out of the house of representatives to really be so again i think it'll be everything from kevin mccarthy relying more on his committee chairs if that's the way it turns out to really you know kind of keep the lid on things and sort of sort out all of the family fights at that level before it has to get to the speaker level that's easier said than done but again i think there's going to be a there's going to be a lot of you know kind of nuances that it's going to be pretty important for the future Republican Party that we start to figure these things out. I've got great confidence in Leader McConnell. So uh, you know either way, I mean I think the Senate will be, you know again it'll be a little more rambunctious probably than it's been you know in the last couple of years on the Republican side, but I think if Democrats try to move you know too fast too far left, uh, you know with divided government, uh, I, I think I, I think Leader McConnell will be well positioned to kind of keep a lid on all that. Gotcha. And I will go back to you and, and David towards the end and ask you about your thoughts about DeSantis, who you brought up, Governor DeSantis, and sort of get your thoughts about what you're thinking of the future. So hold that thought, the thoughts you might have on him. Um, do. David, same question for the for the Democrats. What does this election mean to them? Does it how does it hold for the progressives and how do you think they did? And what do you think the party's thinking now that they had a, a pretty good night, really? Like, what do you think this means to them? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think they're just relieved not to be the ones that are lamenting about what did we, where were our failures. So there's some sense of relief, generally, uh, that we didn't mess this thing up too badly because uh, of the history of what happens in a midterm. So, you know, I think there's a there's always a period in which you have to assess, you know, what do we do right? What do we do wrong? Where are we not? Who are we not reaching out to that we need to be more inclusive of if we're going to be a majority party or we're going to regain control? I think, you know, on the Senate side, it feels to me like Senator Schumer probably was never in jeopardy anyway. His leadership team stays pretty much in place. Uh, I do think when you start to look toward 2024, you got to look at some of the elections. And I think immediately of Manchin, who's up for re-election. And um, others uh, that are going to be in really tough states. We got a Montana re-election. We got Ohio. Uh, so you know those that that's going to factor in about how do you how does the Democrats even in the Senate even with the more progressive Warners and Bernie Sanders um, they're going to be have to be somewhat conscious of their colleagues if they want to be in the back in the majority or remain in the majority if they are fortunate enough to keep it this time. 
Uh, so that's going to be a factor on the House side. We don't know yet what's going to happen with leadership. Um, I think probably most Democrats are going to, if someone wants to have a vote of who has the toughest job in all of Washington, I think we know it's uh, it'll be Speaker McCarthy uh, with the margins he's going to have. It's just going to be, it's so challenging a job to begin with. And I think if Speaker Pelosi decides that she's not going to stick around and retire, um, I think you're going to see, I think Democrats got to wonder about how do they offer, what's the new leadership team going to look like? I mean, she was such a masterful, skillful legislator, um, you know, t- her ability to gather the votes that she needed and put together coalitions and 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 also raised a lot of money for Democrats, et cetera. I think that's going to be something that if she steps out and the leadership team, I suspect, would change dramatically. We're going to, the Democrats are going to have to figure that piece out first. If I could just jump in and add from a Republican perspective, what I, what, what we think also occurred last night is I think the results, they, David, uh, you know, gave the Biden team a little bit more of a lifeline than maybe where they, where they were uh, a week ago. And, you know, again, Thinking about 2024 presidential, uh, you know, I think the Biden team has got to be feeling pretty good about sort of where things landed today. Yeah. So since you brought that up, Dave, now, why don't we talk about so if you're looking at the Biden administration and then we saw that uh, former President Trump made an announcement that he's going to make an announcement on November 15th. Are are we looking at a Biden Trump run again or what are your thoughts on i know desantis had a, a great night in florida so people are looking at possible desantis running what are your guys's thoughts on are we going to see the same race that we saw just a few years ago where are you on on that election on 2024 sure and again you know i think you know conventionally if you would have asked me last week i would have said it was it, it, it would be very unlikely that we could get the kind of Republican presidential wannabes into a race that could really be viable against the uh, you know former President Trump and the Trump machine. And you know, again, if you look at you know Republican base primary voters, you know, you would have to say that President the former President Trump's got a huge advantage. And so it's going to take you know something pretty significant, you know, to be able to uh, you know sort of you know, get in the ring. And again, I think that kind of points to with the results of last night. I mean, some of the really, you know, kind of superstars on the Republican side last night were governors. Uh, you look at, you know, DeSantis in Florida, you know, Kemp in Georgia, uh, Abbott in Texas, uh, DeWine in, uh, you know, in Ohio, and then Christy Nome here in South Dakota, for example. I mean, there's five governors. And again, I don't know that all of them will run, and then you throw the governor of Virginia in too, Yunkin, who can raise you know lots of money. He's got personal wealth, so you start to think about it, it's like okay, now thinking about uh, you know Iowa, New Hampshire, uh, South Carolina. You know Tim Scott, the senator from South Carolina. It's like there there may be a pathway that you know some of those potential you know uh, presidential contenders. Last night's results may be enough to, you know, to, to really get them to think about, you know, now is the time. And again, I would just say, you know, again, you know, to kind of, you know, really put a sharp point on that. Last night, 75% of voters exit polls said the nation was on the wrong track, wrong track, right track, 75% dissatisfied with the, you know, with the direction the country's going in, inflation, the number one issue, highest in 40 years, and the president at 42% approval. Uh, and in spite of all of that, swing voters and moderate Democrats 
being that dissatisfied, we're not willing to give Republicans a chance uh, as the alternative uh, with the Trump shadow, the Trump factor. Uh, I, I think it had a huge it had a huge impact on uh, you know sort of the you know the outcome in a lot of those races. So again, thinking about where do Republican donors go, where do you know Republican operatives go? I think this is going to be you know this is going to be an interesting next three or four months to kind of see where that all you know ends up. I will say though, you know the big hurdle is uh, you know the the Trump voters are I mean they. The more the president, the former president, uh, you know, kind of feels like a victim or looks like a victim, uh, you know, the you know the more rabid, uh, you know, Trump Trump fans and voters become. So it's a tall order on our side. And again, I don't think it's impossible, but I think it's uh, it's going to take a Herculean effort from somebody. Maybe DeSantis, uh, you know, could be the you know could be the likely one. David, what are your thoughts on the the Democrat side? Well, I guess I subscribe to the conventional wisdom that if Trump is the nominee or is in there and it appears that Trump will be the nominee, then Biden is likely to, if you know, all things uh, provide for him to be able to run again, uh, health-wise and everything else, that he would run. I think he'd feel compelled to do that. I think he also feels like I beat this guy once, I can beat him again. Uh, I think if it becomes to Santa, that may change the dynamic. Uh, someone, it may feel like the generational thing is coming into play and maybe it is time. And, you know, we could see what happens in the House leadership too. Uh, I do think there's a, you know, definitely on the Democratic side, a pent up and probably in both sides, there's always a pent up feeling of it's time for a new generation of leadership. So I think uh, there's, Obviously, two governors have been very, you know, outspoken, it feels like, in trying to lay the, the path for a candidacy, California and New Jersey in particular. But then you have former governors like North Carolina, who, you know, what when you're a former governor and you're just out of office, what else would you do but run for president? <laughs> so I think you'll see, you know, I think what will happen will be people will not want to be the first candidate probably in the race, but ultimately someone will have to to challenge Harris assuming that the vice president is going to be a candidate if Biden steps out. So you'd you know, probably want to wait and hopefully say, gee, I'll be the second or third person into this race. I don't want to be number one. So I do want to get to some healthcare specific questions, but David, I want to follow up on a couple of things that you've referenced and you've talked about the changing of the guard in Democrat Democratic leadership. Can you talk a little bit more about on the House side when we're looking at if, if the House does flip to Republican, which I, I think most people think it probably will, maybe not a huge gain for the Republicans. But can you talk about what happens to Speaker Pelosi and the leaders who have been with her now for, for quite a while? What, what do you think the, the young leaders might be? Do you think that's going to happen? Sort of give us your thoughts on what a momentous change that might be in the House. Yeah, I think, you know, if, if no one, I mean, we all, or most of us in Washington anyway, but maybe a good part of America saw the interview the other night with uh, Speaker Pelosi, and uh, she was asked very directly whether she had it just even made a decision about what she'd do, and she kind of dodged that one a little, but she did indicate that what happened to her husband, the attack on her husband, would pay, would play a role in whatever decision she makes. And I think at first glance, everyone said, well, that's a gracious way out. You know, she'll, that they mean she's not running. And then some started to say, well, wait a minute, the fight for democracy. And with the showing that, you know, I think that was pre yesterday. So now with the showing that Democrats have, have made, at least I think it's there's less like 
probably sentiment that she has to go, you know, we need a whole new team. Um, it, 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 the big difference will be that team has extraordinary, as I said earlier, experience, not just her, but Steny Hoyer in the number two slot as well, and Clyburn. Um, it'll be difficult to put together a team, but I think there's a team in waiting that's uh, ready to go with uh, um, the congressman from um, New York, Jeffries, um, a congresswoman from Massachusetts, Clark, and then um, Pete um, uh, Aguilar from California, probably are the likely, uh, you know, there's been talk of other people who might get into the mix, but that feels like the way it would go. Okay. Um, well, let me ask you guys a couple of healthcare questions. Um, what do you think the election might mean for hospitals, the healthcare field in general? I mean, if there is a divided government, what is your sense of anything getting done in healthcare or maybe anything getting done at all? Um, but as AHA and hospitals and health systems are looking towards 2023, 2024, sort of what is your sense from maybe House Republicans, David, and what they might be thinking or just, you know, Dave, David Leader on a divided government? Lisa, that's a good question. I mean, again, I, I think one of the things it means is I don't think we're going to see anything extreme. Uh, so, you know, again, the, you know, sort of whatever the attacks, you know, might be on Medicare or, you know, we're going to fix Social Security, Medicare, uh, trust funds. I mean, I, I think that's going to be very hard to do and quite frankly, even to message around. So, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. Uh, but a couple of things I think related to, you know, what we could do. Uh, one is, you know, again, in House Republican ranks, the Florida congressional delegation, uh, not just because of DeSantis being the governor, but I mean, that's going to be a very, very potent uh, congressional delegation. I, you know, again, the, you know, the chair of the Ways and Means Committee with a lot of jurisdiction over, you know, health care that hospitals care about, not yet resolved, but I think in my mind, it probably tilts a little bit now towards, you know, Congressman Buchanan from Florida, uh, just because of Florida, you know, just being, you know, kind of the, the, the one red wave in, you know, Republican circles came out of Florida with four new congressional seats and a very diverse delegation. Uh, and then... I don't know, just kind of, you know, thinking, uh, you know, beyond that, I do suspect that if there's anything that's going to kind of materialize, or, you know, proactively, I would not be shocked to see some House Republicans now wanting to reach across the aisle to the problem solvers, you know, Dave, David, uh, you know, which is a group that, you know, on paper, uh, they exist a bipartisan group of moderate Republicans, moderate, uh, moderate Democrats. And they were not very effective, quite frankly, in the last Congress because they were kind of flanked on the left by progressives. They were flanked on the right by conservative Republicans, and they're really they didn't have much role in you know successfully governing. I think, quite frankly, that both the Democrats and Republicans, I mean, if they really want to move products, you know, especially in you know, like healthcare, putting together some coalitions like that. Uh, you know, could be, you know, could be kind of a new paradigm that we haven't seen, you know, for, for a long time. So again, it, it, you know, it may require us to kind of start thinking differently than we've thought, you know, the last, uh, you know, four to six years, I mean, you know, given kind of the gridlock. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that. I, I, I'm not ready to predict that's going to happen, but I think Lisa, to your question, if we can do things incrementally, it'll be, you know, in, in putting together kind of factions like that. As polarized as this country is and the parties are, I agree with Dave. I think that 
the I, you know, wasn't so long ago we had the Democrats calling for Medicare for all and the Republicans calling for repeal of Obamacare. <laughs> I think those are off the table now. I think the and I think a lot of what's going to happen is actually going to be the, the the table is going to be set by what happens in the lame duck. Frankly, um, if we move an omnibus bill, it's a vehicle for the PAYGO relief. Um, a lot of things that we would want to get done for hospitals. And I even think other things could ride on it that are important to the healthcare system, like telehealth, um, you know, uh, pandemic preparedness, behavioral health. Those are many of those are bipartisan. And the Finance Committee and the Health Committee, for example, particularly on the Senate side, have been working on measures now. They won't be the, as robust as Democrats would have wanted, but I think uh, I think those are the sort of things that could be worked on bipartisan on a bipartisan basis. And if that's done now, that would be a good thing, I think, because I worry that if we don't, and and I think this is where Speaker McCarthy will have to balance his desire to be Speaker, securing the votes to be Speaker, with uh, the temptation to. Um, on the policy side to uh, to satisfy his caucus. And if his caucus is saying, don't cut any deals now, kick this all over to next year, I think that's a prescription for disaster for the Republicans because if we get to February and we have a government shutdown over abortion or FBI defunding and, and some really, you know, which the Democrats have had to worry about those riders that became issues um, if 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 the if McCarthy is having to deal with those, and we've got a threat of a government shutdown followed by um, the debt limit, maybe a month or two later, then again another threat. I think it sets it up for it, that may give Biden the leverage he needs to be the, the high moral ground in this in the upcoming election. Okay, well, David, you hit on a lot of issues that we are currently talking about here at AHA, and as did you, Dave. Um, we're, we're worried about the, the Medicare trust fund and it going broke in a few years. And do you look to Medicare and hospitals to, to pay for that? And then, and then the deficit and the deficit reduction and raising the debt limit is there going to be offsets required? But it sounds like you both are saying, in a, in a divided government, there's probably not going to be an easy agreement on how to fix any of those. So we either one might be safe, or two there might be apocalypse and the government shuts down and nobody's safe. So I'm not certain. <laughs> I like I like that answer necessarily. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to take uh, give you guys a couple questions that are coming in. Uh, let's see. So, question, and either of you feel free to answer this. Let's see. What does it mean for the lame duck and the grants that are currently in the appropriations budget? So, let's see if I can figure hmm. out what that what they're referring to. Does that mean con uh, directed congressional spending, Lisa? I, I'm going to take it to mean that. Does mean for the lame duck and the grants? So I, I think that's what it means. It's sort of the, the congressional um, earmarks that they hadn't been doing and they're now doing again. Um, I don't know. Are House Republicans going to allow those to keep going forward, Dave? Do you know? Uh, you know, again, that's a, a that's an open question. Debated again yeah. when we thought there was going to be a you know more of a conservative red wave. I mean, I think there was some concern that uh, you know it, it, they could go you know they could vanish again. Uh, but but again, now the kind of the makeup of the House Republican conference, a lot of those new freshman members are going to come from moderate districts, uh, you know, not from the Northeast, not from New England, David, but uh, but certainly you know places like New York, New Jersey. Uh, so I, I would think, again, the 
the House Republican leadership are not going to be able to knee jerk on a lot of these things. I mean, I think they're going to have to they're going to have to thread the needle. So, you know, a, a vote of the conference. I mean, right now, I mean, it'd be hard to predict you know, where it may land. I mean, again, I think you know, tr- it'll require transparency, but uh, I would not be shocked to see you know some continuation of a you know an earmark policy. Um, do either of you want to put in any type of final guess on what you think the the final House and Senate numbers? might be you have until december 6th to to, to re-guess and clarify but just to give you both a final chance well, they go first, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. well I, from what i understand I, I think the democrats are feeling pretty good about arizona that should be kelly should be re-elected there the question is nevada if they get two of those then georgia they could have the runoff in december but it won't make a difference the democrats will end up even if they lost georgia in that runoff would be 50-50 similar to what it is today so um you know it could you know i think everyone was of the mind initially that this thing was a 52-52 one way or the other and we're going to find out it's a little narrower than that it's 51 or it's 50-50 um i you know, there are people who think that Georgia is actually that that uh, Warnock is advantaged here. I, I, you know, it is Georgia, and I didn't believe it last time when we won. Democrats won two Senate seats in a runoff, so I guess anything is possible. <laughs> uh, in the House, I think you know we're looking at. I, my, if I had to guess, it'd be on the low end of what we would call a normal uh, midterm, maybe twenty seat pickup or something like that. Great, thanks. Yeah, at least I, you know, again, I, I tend to agree with David. Uh, I think it's going to, I do think it is going to come down to Georgia, though. We have Georgia uh, participants. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the the political world will be looking at Georgia here in the next several weeks. Again, Adam Laxalt, uh, you know, I think ran a good campaign in Nevada, helped by a good governor's race out there. So I, I think he'll prevail. He's been up about two to three points, you know, most of the night and the day. So that's a pretty good gap. Uh, I'm not as optimistic about Arizona from a Republican perspective, David. So again, if, if Arizona stays Democratic, uh, Nevada flips Republican, we're at, uh, you know, we're right on the cusp of, uh, you know, whatever happens in Georgia. You know, beyond that, I'll, I'll just speculate a little bit. I don't think, you know, I, I think we're past the point that, uh, that Joe Manchin would be courted to switch parties. Uh, but I don't think it's impossible that uh, that Senator Cinema uh, uh, would not, you know, be beyond the pale of switching parties. She's going to be looking at a huge, hugely difficult Arizona primary. She's in cycle in 2024. Uh, the Republican Senate leadership, you know, loves her, and uh, I think will show a lot of love in the next number of weeks and months. And that would shock the world if, uh, you know, if we if we actually got someone like that to uh, to come over to our caucus. So I ac- I have a question, but I actually would almost rather in on that because that's such a great point, Dave, about cinema that we get people talking. Um, but I will ask one more question that says, are you surprised by the margin of the Kemp victory um, versus the need for the Senate runoff in Georgia? And then um, both of you uh, on this one, how will the timing of the Georgia runoff affect the serious negotiations of the lame duck? I.e., will the Republicans hold off until twelve seven before budging on the year end package? Which that's a that's a great question. Absolutely, I think I think we're going to see a lot of spinning of wheels until we know you know the outcome of Georgia. Uh, again, for for a lot of reasons, um, a lot of the leverage you know moves over to the Republican side, Lisa. Not just you know on policy, 
but it becomes you know leverage on the Biden administration's nominations if we happen to have a Supreme Court vacancy. So having some of those you know tools in your toolbox, it's really important to kind of see where it lands. And conversely, I mean, if Democrats win Georgia, uh, it, you know, it, it probably it then it really falls to, uh, you know, I think, you know, Kevin McCarthy, you know, how much of how much does he want to clear out before he becomes speaker or how much does he want to fight over when he becomes speaker? So I would just add, I, I think I would guess that he wants to clear it out. The question is, can he clear it out and still be named, uh, you know, be elected speaker? Uh, that's the challenge. I think there, I've talked to the senior appropriation staff, um, most senior appropriation staff, and they tell me they have solid commitments. It's not surprising. We got some Republican senators who are retiring, including the ranking member and, and Senator Blunt and others who have a big interest in doing this final appropriation. So you can be sure Shelby, but it goes beyond that. It goes to Murkowski and Collins, to Graham even. They've all committed. They want to get this done, and they have they have interest in getting this done, including those earmarks. So, uh, I you know, it's hard to predict because it all I think would reside on. I think most of this is going to come down to how the McCarthy deals with that issue. Great. Okay. Well, I will um, let you both go, but I can't thank you enough for making time today. I know you're both probably tired and would rather be sleeping after staying up late all night. Um, last night. But thank you both for your insights. And I know that we'll be turning to you in the uh, days and weeks ahead to get more information as it continues to unfold. Um, but thank you both, Dave and David, uh, for doing this today. Um, and with that, I am happy to conclude this presentation. Thank you so much for making time to hear about, again, the post-election update um, and sort of the uncertainty around that. We'll obviously keep you up to date as we can on the implications for hospitals and health systems. Um, but have a great day. And again, thanks so much for joining.